Have you ever had a friend who just can't help spoil the endings of all your favorite shows? Oh man, dude, you gotta go see Endgame. It's crazy. When Tony Stark, it's amazing. Yo, I was, I was watching The Departed. The, there's this fucking scene at the end, man. Leonardo DiCaprio just gets it clean off. It's crazy. It's coming out of an elevator and everything. Oh, I can't believe freaking Jon Snow just stabbed her like that. It's crazy. And she was his What? The entire time? I, uh, I don't know. I just don't trust a show where some guy named becomes king. Well, now there's a way you can deal with these less than favorable people that are in your life. Now you can have them around you at all times, but still be able to watch your favorite shows. Introducing Dick Glue. This product is 100% effective and easy to use. Just simply apply a thin layer of dick glue to your friend's phone before he watches your favorite show. With your friend's fingers permanently stuck to their phone, it will prevent any unwanted tweeting, texting, or Instagram posting. No longer will you say, what a dick. Hey man, I just started watching this really cool old show from the 80s called St. Elmo's Fire. Yeah, I just streamed the whole series. It's amazing. The entire time it was in... Dick glue. Not sold in any stores. Anywhere. And nine, Hollywood. Entertainment cronies and cinema elitists hand out awards for excellence in moving pictures. Sometimes the winners don't hold up to the test of time. So we're here in the future to tell them how they got it wrong. This is Switch the Envelope. Welcome to Switch the Envelope, the podcast that aims at rewriting Hollywood award history. My name is Corey. My name is Jeff. How's it going, Jeff? It's going great now that we're in our new studio. Yes, we've been away for a while. We know. We're sorry. We have. But there's been a bunch of uh, bunch of new additions to our world. New edition. <laughs> yeah. You know. New edition. Bobby Brown. We, um, I'm totally cutting that, by yeah, the way. Yeah, we're, we're in a new studio, right? Yep. If you've checked our Instagram... Which you all should be doing every day, seeing all the, <laughs> seeing the gram and all our uh, updates. You should be seeing what we're doing. And we just moved into our new studio. It's nice and uh, ducks colors. Those hockey fans of you out there, it's black and orange and a little bit of silver. Yep, it helps that I'm not a Ducks fan, but you know. But they're cool colors. They're also they make us feel like we're from Orange County. I think. So- yeah. Southern California flair. Exactly. You know. And they're striking. They're striking colors. Striking colors. <laughs> so let's get down to our our metric and our movies that we're talking about. So uh, this week we're talking about the 1991 Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. That's right. This is part two of this week's episode. Or this episode, and uh, we discussed on part one the 1991 Best Pictures. And uh, why don't we go ahead and list those Best Picture nominees? Our first nominee is Ghost. Uh, Dances with Wolves. Goodfellas. Awakenings. I don't have the list in front of me. Godfather Part 3. That's right. Those are the nominees. And then we also added Edward Scissorhands. Yes, Edward Scissorhands is going to be on our list. Choppy Choppy. Yes, Choppy Choppy. (laughs) Edward Choppy Choppy Hands. (laughs) One of the best films for chubby Anthony Michael Hall. You know, not skinny 80s Anthony Michael Hall, <laughs> not but like geeky. chubby yeah. 
angry Anthony Michael Hall that'll follow him through like USA's Dead Zone. Sure. Remember seeing him in there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think he showed up on uh, like some Netflix movie with Brad Pitt where he was like a soldier. And I was like, wait, I'm that's sorry Anthony Brad Michael Pitt. Hall? How can Brad Pitt be be opposite Anthony Michael Hall? Uh, I mean, it was, it was a good movie. He played like, felt a, bad played like a general. Pitt. And, you know, it was, I don't know. Brad, sometimes Brad Pitt's got to cash a check, man. Yeah. Sometimes Brad Pitt, Pitt has to play the ugly one. Sometimes. Not yeah. not usually, though. Yeah. In that <laughs> case, he did. So those are you know the movies. Know what I mean? Yeah. Those, uh, those are the movies uh, that we're going to be discussing today through our metric and trying to figure out if Dances of Wolves really should have won or if one of those other movies should have won. And we already can tell you that we know which ones should have won. That's why our show is called Switch the Envelope, because we think that some envelopes should have been switched. Yeah, it's clearly Ernest Goes to Jail, but... No, I mean, Vern. We weren't allowed to put that on. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if Ernest was uh, like a na- national phenomenon. I know he had the movies and stuff, but I remember him mostly from radio commercials. I remember mostly from his movies. He did he did like these radio commercials. I I want to think that they were only Southern California commercials for like a uh, car company or something. I don't remember that. I I have these like vivid memories of him talking to Vern. You know what I mean. Where he's, he no wants you burnt. to come down to like Cerritos Auto Mall or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I totally remember that. <laughs> and I, I like I don't How know. How did they get him? I don't know if if that was like he just did Southern California radio ad spots. I don't know. Or if that's like kind of where that character blossomed weird is from into made, the movies or something. But like all his... of a sudden, the guy that's doing the radio spots for some car dealership. Is now in these movies and they're hilarious. I hope it wasn't a car dealership because you know in his in his movies he never drove a car. He didn't. No. He rode a bike. And even when Ernest goes to camp, when he drives a golf cart, he crashes it. Yeah. In fact, he explodes the thing. It's not not great. Or he, driving. Is that how you say that? No, whatever. He explodes it. He explodes. <laughs> golf cart go boom. <laughs> it makes right. loud boom. Anyway, so. <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to go through our metric by telling you what we have decided gets a five finger, a four finger, a three finger, a two finger, or a one finger. So, <clears throat> Corey, yes, why don't you talk to the people out there in podcast land who we called switches? What's up, switches? Why don't you tell them about our metric? So, our metric is how we gauge these movies. We work off of a five finger metric, and that is Jeff and I each will score the movie based off of the criteria from uh, five different categories. Each category, if it receives a yes vote from both of us, will get a solid finger for that category. Uh, a split decision gives them half a finger, and uh, us de- you know, saying that it doesn't deserve that um, gets no finger for that particular subcategory. <laughs> I was, we always fizzle out. We start strong, just like and then just can't figure out a way to finish it. Either way, the way we gauge that, the five sub fingers that it's, it's all falling apart right now. I'm just going to okay. try to power through. Are, uh, <laughs> is the movie timeless? Is the story compelling? Was the movie well cast? Does the movie hold up to multiple viewings? And would you recommend this movie? That's how we judge these movies. So basically, the best you can get on our scale is five fingers. Five the worst fingers. you can get is no fingers. We have never gone lower than one finger. Mm-hmm. So we have given the worst movie we've ever seen, we've given one finger. Yeah. One finger. Straight up in the Eyes air. Eyes wide shut. 
One finger. Just so, the middle one. <laughs> today we are going to go down the list. We're going to do things a little differently today. Um, this is season two. Season If you listen two. to all 20, what was it, 24, 29, I, I 206 I episodes know. of the first season, then you uh, got used to our metric system and the way we did things. We're going to do it a little different this season. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a little more rapid fire. <laughs> new effects. So Corey and I have talked about these movies ahead of time. We will present them to you, and then we will talk about it. We are going to start with the winner for the Best Picture of 1991, which is Dances with Wolves. Oh, Mr. Kevin Costner. Mm-hmm. Um, this won everything this year. It did. It was it was the darling of the 1991 Oscars. So uh, Corey and I have just have uh, between us we we talked about it, and we thought that the that this movie deserves. Four and a half fingers. It's a strong outing for the winner. Yeah. You know, four and a half fingers is very respectable. Corey, why don't you tell us a little bit about why we gave it four and a half fingers? So this this film's Kevin Costner's directorial debut, right? This is where he cut his teeth behind the camera. He also stars in it. Uh, and, uh, you know, whether or not um, he was able to create a masterpiece is, uh, you know, the, the Academy seemed to think so. But our first... Since was it timeless? I think we agreed. We agreed it was a timeless movie. He succeeded. He succeeded in being able to tell a story that will capture the hearts of many for many generations, and good on him. He hasn't done it since, but you know, (laughs) I'm looking at you, the postman, Waterworld. (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's a lot of those movies where he's not. I still contend that Tin Cup is a timeless movie. (sighs) The best golf movie ever made. It might be, but you know, you got to be into golf movies, I guess. Yep. Uh, we thought that the story was very compelling. Yeah, from the opening scene when he's trying to prevent his leg from being chopped off from a bullet wound, and it's disgusting and bloody. It just puts you in the muck of the Civil War. It is, ah, I can't get that out of my mind. There's a lot of layers uh, to to unpack in that movie. It's a long movie. <sighs> I like it there's a lot, lot to go into. Yeah, half the movie is just him, him dealing with loneliness, right, in the middle of the <laughs> freaking plains. And then he dances with wolves. It's weird. <laughs> There's that whole dance number in the middle where it's just like cabaret, but with wolves. A little out of left field. Yeah. Um, we thought the movie was well cast. Everybody in it is is real solid. You know, uh, it's I got to be hard to act in a movie that sort of dramatically poignant and direct the movie at the same time. Like that's probably got to tax your brain a ton as a performer and a director, like trying to switch those hats on and off. Like I imagine on something that's a little more like light in tone, there's more playfulness that you could probably Sizzle Beach USA. Yeah, you know, Sizzle Beach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Where you wouldn't have to like, you know, I need I need like an hour to get into this character right now because it's going to get real deep. And then you're waiting for the director to figure out his shit because he's also the star of the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like it, <clears throat> it seems like it would have been uh, like a really you know, big hurdle to cover. And then to do it on your first time, you know, like uh, do, you, do you really need to cast yourself or do you really need to direct yourself? You could have gotten like a really solid director, but he did it and uh, it works. It works, you know. So, uh, you know, everybody around him that supported him, I think it helps that they're all putting in really strong performances as well. So that he can just mellow into, you know, the the character and know that he's supported, 
uh, by his fantastic cast. His fantastic cast, actually. I think they, I think they actually uh, hired every American Indian in the United, in the United <laughs> States for this you actor. See, every American Indian actor. I've seen every single one of those actors in other movies using American Indian actors in the cast. Right. Yeah. I mean, he had to. I just saw one of the. I saw the woman who played. I don't know what her name was, but I think I just saw her in Outlander. Oh, really? Yeah, for this season. <laughs> You're like, that's the chick from Dances with Wolves. I was. I was like, that is the chick from Dances with Wolves. Um, when it came to multiple viewings, this is where we kind of split. I said I can watch this all the time. Apparently, you watch this movie once a year. On Thanksgiving. This is your Thanksgiving movie. No, I actually, I'm just kidding. But I, I oh. actually like this movie. Um I kind of watch it around that time of year, you know? I don't know why. I get a hankling to watch this movie. Around around Thanksgiving? Around fall time. Cold, cold weather. No, it's long... like cold, I didn't mean Thanksgiving. I meant no, like, no, 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 like I'm saying fall like, time. Yeah, the weather's getting colder. Long movies are more appealing. You get into a blanket. You know, you get some warm popcorn or something. Yeah, I mean, I also watch Boondock Saints at that time of year. That's mm. also a Thanksgiving yeah. movie for me. But, know. you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our family's Thanksgiving movie is Christmas Vacation. That's but my, that's actually that's like my, on Thanksgiving. That's, that's like the Thanksgiving. I, that's the Thanksgiving Day movie. Yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about like you know, the season. Thanksgiving time, the fall, the autumn season. Yeah, uh, we were we were split on this. I I like this movie a lot, and I have seen it multiple times. But well, then how can you vote against but it? It's not. If I'm being completely honest, it's not a movie that I seek out. And if it's a movie that's on TV, like I have to be in the right mood to watch Dances with Wolves. You know what I'm saying? I agree. And if it's one where, like, I've caught, like, there's a ton of movies where, like, if you catch, you know, a quarter of the way through, you're just like, oh, shit, this movie. And then you just watch the rest of it, even though you missed the first 20 or 30 minutes of it. This is not one of those movies. If I see that it's on and I've missed a part of it, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to jump in here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'd rather just watch it from the beginning some other time. And then I never come back to, to watching it. So, to me, you know, this... It doesn't really like it holds up, but I'm not seeking it out. So it, I'm on the fence, and it got a half a point for it. Cool, cool. I, I respect that. You know. Okay, what else we got? We else uh, we got the last one we were um, unanimous on, and we would both recommend this movie. It's a fantastic movie. It's one of Kevin Costner's best. You know, I, I would say of Kevin Costner's movie repertoire, it's up there on one of my favorites. Um. It's just a, the most solid movie that, that he's been a part of, you know. Um, there's a lot of other movies that are enjoyable, but this one is just, from the floor up, really, really good. And honestly deserving of winning the Oscar. It's it's a high-caliber movie, for sure. Yes. <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> the next movie we have on our list is... Actually, Corey, what do you want to do? What's the next one? Let's talk about... Ghost. Ghost. I love this movie. Ghost is a fun movie. I love Whoopi. We've said many times before on this show that we're we're both big fans of Whoopi Goldberg. Yep. Uh, she really needs to do more stuff. She, she needs to get off, get the fuck off the View. <laughs> I don't I, watch the View, but I just need you know, the View can stay her day job. Whatever. No, she needs to get off the View and do real. But stuff. I, I want to see her in movies again. I want to like, like just like Eddie Murphy. Murphy needs to stop making kids movies. And get yeah. back to doing real shit. Like, yeah, R-rated fun comedy. Yes. He's doing another fucking Beverly Hills comedy. We need a boomerang, too, is all I'm saying. For Ghost, we gave Ghost four fingers. 
Respectable. A respectable It's a very respectable for, respectable yeah. number for, for Ghost. And I, I think uh, fair. Yeah. Remember, you can take all of these reviews and use them when you're taking your weekend binge session. And you're like, what can I do after I have my depression? After my depression from having just gone through watching all of my episodes of Buffy the Vampire, Buffy Slayer. The Vampire Slayer or uh, of Outlander. Sure. Or Dead to Me or the new Jessica Jones. Well, it's really the feeling uh, that everybody that is a fan of Game of Thrones is feeling right now. It's the doldrums of knowing that there won't ever be another new episode. Oh, man, you're a bastard. Mm. Yeah. You've never even fucking watched that show. Uh, you could watch. You could binge that show right now. I could. I could get on the binge train, except that I heard that the last season is fucking god-awful, so... The fucking... Uh, it is the most I'm awful. off the hook, motherfucker. We're be I the never have to watch pa- a single episode of that show, because I know it ends terribly. We're going to be the only podcast in the world that does not talk about that stupid show. Yeah, I don't need to talk about it. Yeah, so let's move on. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, uh, Ghost, four fingers. So use this list. So right now we have Dances with Wolves has 4.5 fingers. Four and a half. Four and a half. Mm-hmm. Ghost has four fingers. So according to our metric, maybe watch a little Dance with Wolves, have your little bottle of white wine, then go to some Ghost. Okay, Corey, why do we give Ghost only four fingers? Where did Ghost fall short? Where did Ghost fall short? So Ghost, while we both love the movie... Um, you didn't like the casting of Demi Moore. You know what, but we, we didn't really... But we didn't take we points didn't take away. We didn't take a point necessarily. Like, I, let's say, Demi Moore is fine. Right? Where in our metric did it fall short? It fell short on the, the timeless aspect. Now, the... This is where now is, there's a lot of people out there going, <gasps> right, right, right. Ghost is so, so timeless. So the, the I have sex to my boyfriend. <laughs> the story with that movie on. So this is why we have timeless and compelling, right? The story is a timeless story. The way that it's shot is very dated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you put that movie on and you go, oh, 1991. Dude, the song playing with them making clay. Yeah, it looks like an old movie. Come on, oh my. Yeah, and then the Righteous Brothers doesn't help because that's an yeah. old ass song. <laughs> All right, man. <clears throat> but the, yeah, the movie looks old. The special effects are a little dated, um, except for the penny. That penny is super effective because practical effects never age. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just okay. <laughs> I'm a visual effects nerd. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So like the movie itself looks like it was made in 1991. Or 1990, or you know, when, whenever it came out, uh, so it, it loses a little bit of a, a little bit of a shine there. You know? Okay, but is the story compelling? We both agree. Yes, absolutely. You watch that that movie, and you're like, oh, this is classic. So we gave because we gave a point to every other ca- part of our, cat- our our metric except for that one, area, except for timeless, so. because it does look okay. dated as fuck. Then let's move on to Awakenings. Okay, Awakenings, a movie with uh, Robin Williams. And Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. Yes. And Robert De Niro got to sleep through half this movie. <laughs> he did. Mm-hmm. He got paid a lot of money to do it. To sleep. And he got an award for it, or he got nominated for it. I'm an not award. sure if he got the award. He got, he nominated. got nominated for an award for it. Uh, it kind of infuriates me. I mean, you mentioned it a little bit last last episode, too. Like, how does Robin Williams not get nominated and Rob, Robert De Niro gets nominated yeah. for, for Awakenings? Yeah, you like, can uh, do the very good impression of. Anybody can do a very good impression of Robert De Niro in this movie. All right, let, let's both do our impression of Robert De Niro in this movie at the same time. Ready? Go. Three, two, one, go. Great impression. That was I um, nailed it. 
just like fucking nailed it. Yeah. Like, was Robert De Niro here? Like, did we? Wow. I think we just played a clip from the movie. <laughs> um, Awakenings, we did not give very good recommendations for, but we have a reason for it. We only gave it two, two fingers. Two fingers total. Yeah. It. Um, so, Corey, why don't you let everybody know why we did not give this? Or wait, where do we give it? Two fingers. The, the fingers. Or where did we give it? The fingers come from it being well cast. Now, Robert De Niro, when he does wake up, is very Robert De Niro and great, right? Um, Robin eh. Robin Williams. I mean, there's not much he can do. Yeah, a little bit. A <laughs> yeah, little bit. Uh, when he wakes up, he does yeah. pull out a gun and try and shoot everybody. You know. I mean, that's... <laughs> uh, go get your fucking shine bag. You know, he's doing the thing. Um, I used to be in a coma. I'm, uh, I got nipples way, too, Greg. Can you, can you milk me? By the way, that shine box is from is Joe Pesci, actually. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> uh, does wait, but does Joe Pesci? Says but that does line. Joe Pesci say it, or the other guy that just got out of jail actually says it? The other guy that goes out of jail says the "Go get your shine box." Yeah, thing. why don't you go get your fucking shine yeah, box? Yeah, this fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll get to Goodfellas. It's yeah. fine. Um, but yeah, well, well cast. Robin Williams uh, is is really good in this movie. In a very subtle way, you know, when we were when we were sort of breaking this down, uh, really liked how you know we're primed, especially knowing all of Robin Williams' sort of repertoire and where he, uh, you know, got a lot of his his acclaim was when he was being bombastic and when he was being very sort of like big character Robin Williams. That's why I call him Mister Bombastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Mr. Robert Williams. Mm. Mr. Bombastic. Anyway, um, terrible joke. Yeah. We're full of bad jokes tonight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I haven't even started. Yeah, we got a bag. A bag of bad jokes that were just that we added it to the new studio. It was just a bad a bag of bad jokes. Um he's he's real sort of introverted in this, which is a big turn from what we're we use what we're used to seeing Robin Williams do. You know, and especially at the time in 1991 he wasn't doing a lot of like we weren't used to him doing a ton of these like real dramatic pieces where he sprinkles in his humorous moments you know uh to make him feel like more of a well-rounded character but this is the most sort of closed in that i've seen robin williams and it was kind of refreshing i totally agree not at all like the way (laughs) robert de niro was no no (laughs) robert de niro uh sort of just floated from set to set this year right like yeah he had he had Three movies at least. Sure, <laughs> he, he was. Yeah, he was in two that were nominated. At least two nominated that we we're going to talk about. Yeah, and he also had Cape Fear that he damn well could have been nominated for because he was scary. fantastic in it. <laughs> he is scary in that movie. Oof. Um, him and Nick Nolte. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, wh- Nick what's the what's Dick her name? Nolte. <laughs> Who plays the daughter in that? It's the the daughter it's, from uh, uh, Jul- Juliet Ju- Lewis. Juliet Lewis. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, like fresh off of her Christmas vacation, because didn't that... I thought this is fresh after Mr. Boogity. Mr. Boogity? <laughs> she was in Christmas... Christmas vacation came out in 89? I don't know. She also was in... Wasn't she in uh, Natural Born Killers or California? I think, I think or Natural Born Killers movies? comes like the next year or something. Uh, was she in California, too? With a K? Was she in California? She may have been in California. With Brad Pitt? Yeah. And David Duchovny? Was David Duchovny in that I movie? I believe David Duchovny's in God, that movie. God, he's in a t- bunch of movies where he plays like the, like the Red Shoe Diaries, I think he was in. A bunch mm-hmm. of weird porno graphic almost yeah. movies. And I always, yeah. yeah. So we, we gave it. still a, married. T- was it Tia Leone? Tia Leone. Tia Leone, man. Who is uh, Madam, Madam Secretary? Yeah. 
on uh, CBS now. Crazy. And David Duchovny, uh, I'm not sure if he still is, but he was fucking Gillian Anderson there for a second. Was he? <laughs> I don't think I don't think he is anymore. I think Gillian Anderson married somebody else and whatever. whatever. But he didn't like, hit follow- that back in the 90s, huh? I think he did a lot. <laughs> During the X-Files, I, I have a feeling he did. Mm, okay. Um, but they, like... After he split with Tay Leone because of his sex addiction. Yeah, that's, not, that's the stupid. That's know. a thing, apparently. Um, uh, it's a thing that all humans are afflicted with. Um, because we likes to fuck as humans, you know. I would think you just not. Yeah, never mind. Um, he's, you know, just he's an asshole who cheats on his wife. <laughs> that's what that is. <laughs> who was starring in a TV show about cheating on his wife. That's true, yeah. Uh, I think uh, then the, he made like some X-Files movie resurgence with Gillian Anderson, and yeah. then they started dating a little bit there for a while. But I, I, don't, think they're, I don't think they're still together. Nah. All right. She probably, anyway. she probably married some like Canadian or something. Um, Canadian, huh? Yeah, I think so. Like Alicia Cuthbert? Sure. <laughs> who? Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh-huh. Um, we also said that this movie was, uh, its story was compelling. Awakenings, going back. Oh, I was like, where yeah, the hell are we? Bringing it back to Awakenings. It's so well, Awakenings. It was well cast and the story was compelling. We did not feel like it was that timeless. Now, when when these movies, uh, the period piece movies, which this is, it's set you know a couple decades prior to um, you know current day, quote unquote, uh, and usually those get a sort of soft line into timeless because we give a little bit of a pass, like, oh, no, they're making it look like 1950s or 1960s or, you know, whatever. This had moments where, like, oh, okay, yeah, it's set in that era. And then it also had other moments where you're like, 1990. <laughs> you know, it, I don't know. It's just something about the the way it was lit or, you know, whatever. Um, sort of brought you out of the, the era a little bit. But, um, you know, so it doesn't get a point there. Does it hold up to multiple viewings? I saw it once. I didn't. I don't need to see it again. Yeah. You know, like, oh yeah, uh, I saw that. Oh, I thought this was a just unbelievably boring movie. It's slow. It's just. It's slow. It was. It didn't. It didn't awake me enough. You know what I'm saying? I didn't feel awakened enough through the movie. I feel like I was more like, you know, sleeping, sleeping. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> sleeping. Sleep, sleeping. It was a sleeping movie. <laughs> they should have called the movie Ambien. This movie is like a less fun cocoon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Definitely. Like, <laughs> Definitely. Like, co- the, like the cocoon didn't open. Cocoon is you know a little I mean? a little boring as well. Nah, but when they all stop being all cocooned, you know, and they start being all dancey, it's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, this was like this is kind of like a less fun cocoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <coughs> it's got similar things that happen, you know. Yeah. Aliens and such. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we no, nobody needs to see this movie twice. And um, because of that, none of us are going to recommend this movie. If you need to see a Robert Williams movie, there are fucking 80 more that are exponentially better than this. Yes. Um, like Patch Adams. <laughs> yeah. Good Morning Vietnam, you know. Actually, dude, Good Morning Vietnam is one of it's the best movies really he's good. ever. I think that's his best movie. It's really good. Um. Okay, right. so two, two for. Two we're gonna games. just because of just because we're adding Edward Scissorhands, we're gonna do that last. Okay, okay, but we're gonna do Goodfellas now. Mm-hmm. Okay, now Goodfellas, we gave it five fingers. Love this movie. Five fingers. 
Okay, this is our highest honor to give us five fingers. Martin Scorsese. The only thing higher than a five finger from us is six fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker, there's not six fingers I'm on a metric. We don't, have, we don't have six fingers um, on our metric. So this is only, this is a five fingers. This is the highest we can do. So, um, Corey, what can you say about God? Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Godfellas. Godfellas. Had a lot to drink. Godfellas, terrible movie. It's late at night right now. Goodfellas, great movie. The only thing about people listening to this is they don't really know how late at night this is They don't know that it's 4 a.m. right now. They have no fucking clue how late (laughs) or how early in the fucking morning we're recording this. Uh, The movie is timeless. It's a a period piece, uh, which kind of gives it a softball, but actually... Kind of a period piece. But it's actually... I wouldn't call the 70s a period piece. When it's made in the 90s, yeah. No, but then it catches up to itself. It does, but like you know, there's there's moments where like it's it's periodish. Yeah, but in it those spans period, a big a big. But in those time. period pieces, we talked about it. How stupid it is when they show well, you know, okay, so fifty year old Robert De Niro, and they go, yeah, yeah the first time I met him, he was twenty one. Yeah. You're like, what the? He's no, like a fifty year old man, <laughs> and then Though, Ray Liotta lo- looks like he's you know thirty, and they go, hey, he was just twenty nineteen years old, <laughs> Ray Liotta. Yeah, um, the the pass that I'll give it is. Uh, have you ever looked at old photographs and thought, like, oh, look at all those adults, and then somebody tells you that they're all, like, under 21, <laughs> and you're like, fuck, <laughs> people looked old back back in the days. But that's because yeah. people died at 42, so 20 was middle-aged. Once again, we're talking the 70s, not the 20s. This movie takes place in the 70s. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. In the 80s, everybody looked like they were they were in their 30s. It was just the style, like all the feathered hair and the, I'm like, just saying, all the cocaine. Whatever, Everybody looked like they whatever were Whatever Scorsese was thinking when he walked up and more, one of them said, yeah, I can play a 21-year-old yeah, the first couple right. scenes. Yeah. One of them needed to tell the other one. Well, we'll yeah, let you, you young. Can't. Yeah, yeah you, you can't play that part. They did Look, they didn't have the technology they have now to make like young-faced actors. You know, where, where they can make, uh, who's who was the latest one? Uh, the Star only, Wars, where they made everybody. Wars, the, yeah, they, people, they made people They brought people dead. back from the dead. People yeah. were dead. Yeah. <laughs> was the commander, what his name? What's his name? They actually had him in whole scenes where he right. hasn't been alive. And he's, he's doing dialogue and everything, and yeah. it's totally seamless. Super creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't have that technology back then, so, you know, you had to kind of just bite the bullet. Goodfellas honestly has some of the best dialogue. It has some of the most memorable lines. The whole line, the whole scene between Ray Liotta and Joe Pesci, with him saying, "What? what am I a funny guy? Am I, funny am I a you? funny guy? Do what I look I funny clown? to you?" That's great. am I here to amuse you? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, just some of that, some of those dialogue, some of the dialogue, some of the. It's just a great movie. Uh, on the internet, there is a supercut of every time Ray Liotta says "Karen." <laughs> that is kind of hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite scene of that whole Karen, <laughs> Karen, Karen. The Don't best do this, Karen. The best scene of that whole movie is the sequence from the time he wakes up and he's super stoned and he's trying to make pasta. He's trying to make like sauce mm-hmm. and he's trying to drop off guns and oh, clean yeah, yeah. the and uh, like make the coke. Uh-huh. And then he thinks the FBI is following him. That the whole helicopter? sequence yeah. is the best part of that whole movie. He's he's just like perpetually sweating through the entire <laughs> scene. <laughs> Or the, the series of scenes, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the best. That's the best part of that whole that, whole movie. And, and it's capped by the like, well, we got to go back to my place because I got to pick up my lucky hat. Yeah. And he's like, the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a. 
that's the sort of apex of of the movie, right? And it everything sort of le- leads to that moment, and um, he feels very safe up until that moment, and and that switch where he just becomes super paranoid guy because you know that he's gone down some paths that he he doesn't have protection from in the movie, and Martin Scorsese just sets that up so well throughout the entirety of the movie. You know, the sort of crime uh, scene where they do these god-awful things. I mean, Joe Pesci shoots, uh, what's his face, at that poker game uh, for not bringing him a, a, a drink. No, he's, he shoots him, doesn't he? I thought he shoots sh- him in the foot first. He shoots him by accident by saying dance. He's like, oh, dance, dance. Yeah, and he, he shoots, shoots, shoots him in the foot. And then when the later later on he says, he goes, fuck yourself Yeah, go fuck yourself. And then he just Really? Him. And then he just fucking blows him away. Yeah. Was it, uh, Michael Imperial? No. The kid from the guy from who the plays Sopranos. The, from The Sopranos, yeah. What's his name? Uh, I don't remember. Man. I hate The Sopranos. I, th- I want to say it's Michael Imperioli, but I'm not sure. I don't think that's accurate. Well, <laughs> either way, you know. that whole scene, like that, that shows just like how much, like kind of wild westy. Uh, the the no, crime. The, the crime worst scene part was. about that is not he that he shot him. The worst part is that the reaction from the guys at the table is, "Why'd you do that? Now we gotta have to go. To, yeah. You're gonna have to. Are you gonna dig the hole? Now we gotta, gotta deal dig with the, the shit. Hole? Yeah. He's like, "I'm gonna dig the hole. Are you gonna dig the hole? Right. Not like, oh, you killed the guy that works here. No." Yeah. Who's going to dig the hole for this? Right. Now you've made a nuisance on our nights, you yeah. asshole. Yeah. You killed our poker game. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it's, you know, they're skating on the, this edge the, the entire time where, like, they should be worried about the fucking well, the movie crazy starts out, criminal shit that they're doing, but they don't give a fuck because, because of, they're protected. They're the, insulated. No, you know? the opening line of the movie is, all my life I've wanted to be a gangster. Mm-hmm. That's the first line of the movie. So right. he wants... He's putting it out there that this guy wanted to do these things. These are no, 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 no. Yeah, no. But I'm, but I'm saying that like the, the setup for that is that you could aspire to be a gangster because you know that no one was going to be able to touch you if you, if you were able to to sort of break into that world. Yeah. You know, if you got in good, then you didn't have to worry about getting hit by the cops or you know like. And they never actually got in good. None of them were made. That's they made that not, point. Yeah, they not, couldn't have been made because they weren't Sicilian. Right. That's why they're so excited by Joe Pesci being made, and then he wasn't actually made. He yeah. was just being that. That scene alone is just cinematic gold. He he goes into that. room. I mean, spoiler alert: they shoot him in the back of the head. Um, if you haven't seen this movie, <laughs> and we've been talking about it for you know seven minutes now, um, he goes in and immediately knows that he's going to die, and it's it's this brilliant piece of of filmmaking where you go in and you hear him like say oh like oh no or oh fuck or whatever like but he never gets to finish the sentence he just goes ah and then they shoot him and um you know it's it's this wonderful moment in that happens in in movies where the character and the audience sort of live out something or at this point you know like realize the death of of something um at the same time. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's kind of hard to tell a narrative story and really pull the wool over like an audience's eyes because you have to give them pieces of, you know, what's going on. Yeah. And they set that up, you know, Scorsese sets that up really well. So when he walks into that room and you see what he sees, because it does kind of goes to a POV of, of his shot. And then you hear him start to say it and you kind of mimic what he's saying at the same time, and you're like, "Oh, fuck, dead," mm-hmm. you know. It's a it's a really good good piece of, of filmmaking. There's there's a bunch of those sort of suspenseful moments that they're setting up prior to that too, where he's going around, uh, sort of killing all the people that 
were involved in that uh, the the Lufthansa heist. The Lufthansa heist. Lufthansa heist. You know, um, where he basically does all this, uh, you know, the same thing that happens to him, and so he knows right away, like, ah, fuck, you know, it's well, now, up to me. These and the the scary thing about this is this movie is based on reality. The guy in the movie is actually real. Yeah, person. for the most part, yeah. No, Henry Hill is a real person. Yeah. The the movie I I was reading something about like they improvised a lot on set based off of the um yeah like listening to some of the recordings and that's where um that whole scene between Joe Pesci and Ray Liotta comes from right I think they'd have to keep some of the movie real because it was based on Ray Liotta's character so they have to keep hit some points sure. throughout the movie because they have to make sure that the character is still factual and enough of that character comes out in the script a lot of the rest of that movie could have been just neighborhood stories that they had heard or uh, improvised worked through with uh, martin scorsese but um so our last movie all right so five five stars five five fingers for that one not stars but fingers um, the last movie we're going to do is edward scissorhands Ooh, are we at edward scissorhands <clears throat> we added edward scissorhands now, we had given Edward Scissorhands four and a half fingers. Oh, it's... Four and a half fingers. Very respectable. Very respectable. Now, I'm going to take this one because there's a reason. We pretty much gave it 100% on everything. But I had to take off for basically... It got a finger for Timeless, being a Timeless movie. Got a finger for being well cast... It got a very good finger for multiple viewings. I would definitely recommend this movie. However, the compelling issue of this movie drives me crazy. I think this movie is compelling, but there are some major problems with this. Mostly the fact there's a giant fucking castle at the end of these people's street, and nobody seems to notice except for the fucking Avon lady who goes to ring the doorbell. Sure. How is the Avon lady the only person that goes and see? to notice to go up to the castle at the end of the street. <laughs> She's looking for a sale, man. Hello. <laughs> Nobody goes, hey, this there's is... a looming gothic castle at the end of our street that Beauty and the Beast could be living in, yeah, this is... and we don't go up there to see who lives there? This is like surreal storybook land, right? Like, it just is. I, I, I don't know. Like, the tone of this movie sets up that that is something that is very possible in this world. And there I are un- two very starkly different worlds that come and clash. Which makes sense, except when... So, so if you accept the world that they live in. So you've got the 1950s happening right here, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got the gothic land up there. Then why is it in the 1950s, is everything at uh, Anthony Michael Hall's house modern? <laughs> he has modern he has modern alarm systems. He has a CD player. He has everything that's See, modern. It, it's, not, it's not the 50s. It's a utopian like 50s. image of sort of like it's a Norman Rockwell painting. Yeah, it's it's the the. But 50s. Why does nobody else have modern technology except for Anthony Michael Hall's family? Well, I mean, you bring up a good point that he would be the only one. But I don't know. Like Edward Scissorhands has like fucking power tools and stuff. No, they just have like a like it's not it's people in the in the in the mid nineteen hundred nineteen mid twentieth century. They did not have power tools. I guess, they, but they would in the nineteen like, they did not have like you know something to trim their bushes. I guess trim their hedges. They could had lawnmowers. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, but yeah, I, I don't know. 
I mean, if he had CD player, I don't remember there being a CD player. Yeah, he says, oh, man, there's a line where he's talking to his to uh, Winona Ryder's dad. And he goes, oh, yeah, my dad got some really cool stuff. He got a CDs player. He's got an entertainment system. But I, he keeps all that stuff locked up for me. Yeah. And then the whole reason he gets in trouble is because the alarm system goes off in the house. Right. Like, if this is like this utopian 50s, 1950s, then why does one kid have all this 90s stuff? I don't know. I've always had a problem with that. I've always mm. always driven me nuts. Mm. No, you're you're making a compelling argument here now. And like, why is he also the only one that has a modern car? He has a van. Everyone else has these 1950s cars. So, uh, like, if we dig into the the sort of themes here, you've got the sort of like like this Victorian Gothic. Unless he's trying to make the castle. point that people of the 90s are cruel and awful, and well, everyone so, else is. So th- this is the thing. Like, you you take the two. Stark rea- uh, like realities that, that he set up this sort of like this pseudo fifties conservative America where everything's perfect and everybody has two and a half kids and you know a picket fence and blah 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 and you take this sort of uh, gothic underbelly of the Victorian age and everything is just black white and gray and you smash them together in you know through blades <laughs> and together they make something progressively beautiful new hairstyles new you know like uh topiaries you know the art starts to creep into their sort of that's bushes generally bland yeah you know topiaries (laughs) that's your sat word of the day like every episode we're just gonna throw in an sat word (laughs) just so everyone else knows topiaries bushes bushes. yeah uh you know and and not the president this sort of grotesqueness of the outward appearance of Edward Scissorhands sort of clashes with the sort of clean um, outward appearance of the 1950s, and they realize that it's the complete opposite, that these people who have these veneer of the perfect life are kind of the ugly human beings that have hate in their heart, and this guy who is outwardly ugly has nothing but love in his heart, right? And so those two worlds coming together clash, and the fallout is is progress, right? Like acceptance and, and whatnot, right? It's kind of a social story. Perhaps Anthony Michael Hall represents sort of where their future is because he's this kid. He's a, you know, um, the kid. He's like the son of the generation that has set up this utopia, right? And he is progressing from them then on without knowing the art and the other side and tapping into the sort of love and compassion and, you know, feelings. And that's the road he's taking. So maybe that, as a character, he represents that and that's why he has the modern things, but he's still kind of an asshole, you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. I but see that's your point. that's my like my film school dissertation on it. That's not uh, necessarily um, like on Front Street. There, this movie also has. <laughs> it's not very clear. Like if I I had to dig really deep to try to make those connections, but you know, this movie also has the dumbest, dumbest ending line I've ever heard in my life. In the end, he here. Okay, in the end. Edward Scissorhands, for everybody, I'm saying for everybody being so compelled by this movie. Mm. In the end, Edward Scissorhands is up in his clo- up in his tower, right, making freaking ice sculptures of her with the song, like the the, the Danny Elfman song playing in the background. The yeah. that song, yeah. Little girls, so, they make me feel not that so one. good. Not that one. No, not that. Not one. that one. So you've got the song playing, and he's just he's yeah, the guy's. Cutting ice and it's snowing, okay. Uh huh. And she's an old lady now, 
And the girl, her little kids are like, Grandma, why do you know he's still alive? And she looks into the, into the like fucking window and goes, because before he came, it didn't snow. And now it does. Oh, so he's creating the snow for the I town? was like, really? Wow. That was great. Mm-hmm. That was great. Great writing there. Mm. It sounded like someone wrote it like five, like wrote that five seconds before she actually walked. walked they out may have. <laughs> they didn't, but now he does. It was like so stupid. Yeah, that's not great, necessarily. That's so, the last line of the whole all right, movie. I had half a point then. <laughs> yeah, you're, <laughs> it's it's valid. It's fine. But overall, the movie really good. So, in <laughs> summation. <laughs> yeah. Four and a half, because I still love watching this movie. I just think there's some very big plot holes to this movie. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all it's going up again. I mean, to be to be clear on our metric here, both first, uh, this isn't actually, this isn't uh, um, was it Tim Burton's first directorial debut. Like, it's not his first feature, is it? Like, he, had, um, he had done Batman before this. Like, is this Batman's eighty nine. This is the movie he got because of Batman. Batman's eighty nine, so yeah. This, like this he was able after. to make this because of Batman. All right, so like it's, I don't know if he not... was able to make this because of a bat because of a Batman. He was probably able to get have carte blanche because of Batman. The, no, that, that's what I'm saying. Like he was able to tell his quirky little story about a guy with scissor hands because. Oh, and by the way, if you're able to himself. make hands, mm-hmm. why would you go and then spend all the time putting scissors on somebody's fingers? Because he's a fucking sick mad scientist guy. It just didn't make sense to also, me. Also. He had a ton of scissors lying around. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you pick scissors? You know what always bugged me about this movie? No. The, the, the one grievance I have about this movie is, like, the way his hands are set up is all just, like, halves of scissors, right? It's all, like, one side of the scissor. It's like, that you took the scissors apart, and then each one became, like, a finger kind of a thing. Or, like, that's what it looks like. And then he kind of just waves his hand, and things get cut. But that's not how scissors work. <laughs> <laughs> that's your one issue i've gone off for like 15 minutes about how much I and you're having your issues with that yeah you know like the way he he cuts things to precision is not the way scissors work like he would have to be like like edward knife hands because scissors aren't knives like they don't cut the same way that knives do you know what I'm saying? like i don't know well there, there's a whole like the friction and like <laughs> Them, the two blades <laughs> coming together, that is what actually cuts the and thing. And what's with Peggy Bundy, the the chick that, I mean, that's, I know it's not pe- actually Peggy Bundy, but what's up with the Peggy Bundy who's trying to have sex with this dude? It's really weird. I mean, wouldn't you want to fuck the sort of frail, pale guy? No, but she's like, hey, that have was, some of my, have some of 90s, my ambrosia. Bro. I'm going to have some of my ambrosia salad, baby, while I try and rip off your clothes. It's right. weird. She's How does re- she know there's not like a scissor down there? But she's really into the cure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. She so, got one of those CDs that my Anthony Michael Hall had. And she's like, that nobody else knows this, what this is. But this is my life. I never knew. <laughs> I need to fuck this kid. All right. So on our metric, we have Just Goodfellas. Don't, don't get fingered by him. Goodfellas. Oh, wait. We missed a movie. Did we? We missed a movie. Which movie did we miss? Oh, you know why we missed a movie? Oh, because it's a piece of shit. Godfather Part 3. Godfather Part 3 was nominated. Okay. Okay, let's actually, go You know this. what? Let's actually... We're gonna go through the metric. Yeah, let's actually go through the metric on this one so that people can see why this movie is. So a we can piece fully, fully justify the score that we gave it. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll, we won't tell you the score for this one. Okay. Until till the end. Is this movie timeless? 
No. Fuck no. It, oh, God. It's such a disappointing fall-off from the other two Godfather movies. Yeah, you had, you had two works of art. It's almost like having a Mona Lisa and then having finger paintings. It's almost like they did Godfather 1 and 2 and then, like... Pooped. A TV studio decided, we're going to tell the third part. You mean what they've been doing with all the movies now? Yes. <laughs> um, is the story compelling? No. Mm-mm, no. It's a long boring terrible way to kill a franchise yes like game of thrones season eight exactly was the movie well cast you know what no oh you know what we have to give it you have to give it a half a point for being well cast yes Corey does not give it a half a point or he only I gives have half two words that give me half a point on this okay Sophia Coppola. Sophia Coppola. <laughs> because she is in this movie as an actor, not as a director. If she directed this, it would oh, probably be fantastic. It probably would have been better. <laughs> yeah. She got her she she's actually better director than her father. She's a really good director. She's a really yeah. good storyteller, actually. I, I really enjoy I, I didn't like uh, Lost in Translation as much. It was just a little too sleepy, but her other films I've really enjoyed. I thought the writing in Lost in Translation was terrible, but Yeah, yeah, it's real sleepy. It is. Yeah. Um, so we should half a point. Sure. Half a point for well cast. Yeah. Because Andy Garcia is great. Al Pacino is still good. It's great. You know, um, Andy Garcia is acting his ass off trying to make believe that he's in love with the most beautiful woman ever. And, and, uh, what's her name's husband is in this. Um, yeah, that guy, what's her name's husband? (laughs) No, I'm talking about, (laughs) no, the guy that's always tan. What's the guy that's always tan? The guy that's always tan. Yeah, what's his name? Uh, uh, George Hamilton. Babs' husband. Yes. Yes, George <laughs> Hamilton is in this one. I don't know why George Hamilton is in uh, Godfather 3, but George Hamilton is in this movie. Again, half a point for Wellcast. <laughs> uh, does the movie hold up to multiple viewings? No. no. Would you recommend this movie? Absolutely not. Not a snowball's chance in hell. So we didn't even give this movie a finger. This is a, a new low. We've set yes. a new precedent for uh, Switch the Envelope. A, a half a finger. A half a finger. If uh, if anybody's familiar with uh, with our, our the hand graphics that show up on our website, uh, half of fingers have uh, like nub, <laughs> just nubs with a bone sticking out. This is just a fist with a nubby bone sticking out. So... <laughs> If any of you know, if any of you have not seen the Godfather series, I'm gonna post that shit on Instagram. <laughs> it's gonna be great. It's gonna be Godfather Part Three and just a a stump of a middle finger. <laughs> well, if any of you have not seen the Godfather series, because I've I've come across a lot of people who have not. It's just one of those movies that everyone says they have seen or love, and a lot of people, or the people have seen said they've seen it, but they haven't. Yep. And um, if you've ever not seen Godfather Three, don't. <laughs> Yeah, you can stop after two. Like, don't waste your time. Yeah, There's no reason. One and two, and then just switch to Scorsese. Yeah, it doesn't add to the story. It wasn't written by Mario Puzo. Mm-hmm. It was written by uh, Francis Ford Coppola. It was just it's a terrible. Yeah. And Francis Ford Coppola even said that he wanted to name the, he wanted to name the movie uh, The Death of Michael Corleone or something stupid. He didn't even want to call it Godfather 3. So whatever. He, yeah, he ruined his franchise. It's it's the equivalent like it's the Godfather equivalent of the prequel Star Wars films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of good intention, but good intentions don't necessarily make a good film, and this one did not. You know, half a finger. Oh, half a finger. New record. 
So yeah, that that's it. So judging by our scores, Jeff, who should have gone home with the Oscar? Okay, as we tally up all our scores, it looks like the Oscar this this year in 1991 should have gone to Goodfellas. So yeah, Goodfellas. Go, uh, uh, people at the Academy. Go, uh, go directly to Kevin Costner's cubicle there in the uh, Academy offices. Take away his Oscar and give it to, um, you know, the guys at Goodfellas. I'm not sure who produced that film, but Scorsese probably was a producer on there. I'm guessing. I don't know. Um, It's weird, you know. Best Picture. Everybody talks about. uh, Nobody ever knows like the people that actually win Best Picture. It is interesting, like because it's all just producers. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so like unless the producer also has a name outside of being a producer, when you know people just uh, uh, you know assign it to the uh, the movie, but like actual people go home with those statues, you know, and the, the people that produce the film, but nobody knows their names. It's like the only category. Um, that's a major category where people like rut- routinely don't know the names of the people that actually won those awards. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all right, congratulations for switching the envelope. Congratulations for switching the envelope. We're done, right? right? Yeah. Except right now, it's time for Al's useless Hollywood facts. All right, bringing a a uh, rare segment back as a regular segment. Exactly. I know all of you last season, season one, uh, we got a lot of letters, a lot of letters, um, some Twitters, some grammars. I don't remember ever giving out an address, so it's, it's weird that we got a lot of letters. It, it, they, 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 they found us. Yeah, it's weird. They found us. Uh, a you lot of them were from Pigeon. Yeah, you guys are really Pigeons. good with the internet, apparently. Yeah, they went through through Pigeon uh, message. But uh, we got a lot of letters asking for the Owl's Useless Hollywood Facts to come back. And we got it for you. It's one of my favorite segments. It is one of my favorite segments. So 1991 Useless Hollywood Facts is coming at you right now. In 1990, Touchstone Pictures released the comedy Ernest Goes to Jail. This would be the eighth and most successful movie starring Jim Varney reprising his character as Ernest P. Worrell. Many kids of the 80s and 90s grew up watching the Ernest movies, but many don't know where these movies came from. Many people might be surprised to know that the Ernest P. Worrell character was developed by a local Nashville ad agency. A man named John R. Cherry III originally developed the character to sell products on television. He would go on to be the director of all those great Ernest movies. In 1990, Robert De Niro and Robin Williams star in the heartfelt and often heartbreaking Awakenings. Directed by Penny Marshall, this movie went on to critical acclaim and many Oscar nods. The movie takes place in a psychiatric ward in the Bronx and centers on one main character, Leonard Lowe. Leonard is semi-catatonic and can only be awakened by a drug given to him by Robin Williams. This great portrayal of Leonard Lowe by Robert De Niro was given an Oscar nod. However, Robert De Niro was not the first actor in line to play this part. Penny Marshall was originally hoping to have Bill Murray play the part of Leonard Lowe, but she decided against it. She was worried people would think 
that her movie was a comedy. And that was Al's Useless Hollywood Facts. All right, that was some good facts. Those were great and also useless. Actually, completely useless. Yeah, I've forgotten most of them by now. Me, me too. Couldn't tell you a single one that you just read. Well, Corey, it's that time. I think it's time for you to dedicate that episode. Oh, who? Oh, I get to. I get to. Okay, I'm nervous now. All of a sudden, I know. Palm sweaty. I got to think of somebody to to dedicate this episode. I got one. I've got one. All right, let's hear it. I'd like to dedicate this episode to an actor who, in 1991, played the immortal role of Frank. Egelhofer <laughs> in Father of the Bride. Yeah. That's right. This week's episode is dedicated to none other than Martin Short. <laughs> All right. That's it. I, I hear the, the music. Chicken. I, I hear the music. It's playing us off. I hear that. I hear it too. Make sure to go to our Instagram, follow us. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at Switch Envelope. The Instagram, by the way, at switch the envelope. Switch the envelope mm-hmm. on our Instagram, and make sure to check out our Snapchat at Sex Kitten One. Yeah, movies to fuck to. That's yeah. our username. <laughs> go to uh, go to Reddit NSFW. <laughs> Uh, like and subscribe to us wherever you can. You can listen to us on on all kinds of platforms. Tell your friends. Uh, leave us a review uh, where appropriate. It helps. And um, you know, we'll see you. Uh, don't see- even say, don't say it.